and welcome to episode 131 of Killer Hangover. I'm back. <laughs> Bethy is back. We're back. Aren't you guys anxious? I'm Beth. <laughs> I'm Bettina. And this week, I will be finishing my story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Yes, thank goodness. Mom didn't have to wait long because we stopped recording of the last episode and started the new one because we prefer recording together. So she didn't have to wait long. But Who knows when we can do that again. So might as well take the time and do it now. Yeah. So sorry, listeners, I didn't have to wait. But you did. <laughs> Rude. Uh, I picked a cocktail again for mom to drink. She just finished her first gin cocktail. Now she's about to drink another one. Oh, Beth. Again, good thing we're not doing anything today. The boys are going to ha- come home from school. And, hey, guys. <laughs> What's going on? This one is a little stronger. Oh, good Lord. I'm buzzing from that caffeine already. Okay. Okay. This is the Yeti. <laughs> because it is one of the theories. lovely theories. <laughs> This has one and a half ounces of gin, one and a half ounces of your blue curacao. You love your curacao. That's pretty. Uh, Three ounces of lemonade, club soda, ice cubes, and a lemon wedge, which I didn't forget the lemon wedge. Yeah. So you put the the gin, the lemonade, in a glass with ice cubes. Add the curacao, top with club soda. Actually, the website, it's sac.com, S-A-Q.com. It says, top up with de club soda. <laughs> de club soda. Yeah. Stir using a mixing spoon garnish with a lemon wedge. All right. Well, I don't think this is, this is refreshing. Uh, yeah. I think I'm, we've made a similar I'm cocktail. drinking lemonade. So it's like I'm drinking with you. I'm drinking the lemonade portion. <laughs> Did you at least pour the club soda in your lemonade? No. Just lemonade. I didn't even think of putting the club soda in there. Well, it would have been good. What was I thinking? It would have been good. I think we've had something like this before. We have. I think it might have just been named something different. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I know we usually do a little banter before every episode, but, I mean, we were just bantering. Chatting. (laughs) Um, Happy Valentine's Day. That's tomorrow for anybody that cares. (laughs) Um, That's a bad way to put it. I, I know. I think... I'm just stressed. Those who have kids, you get me. Yes. I'm just getting the cards and the parties and everything else. But on top of all of that, my one kiddo's birthday is February 19th. And then the other is March 3rd. So it's just like I got all the birthday stuff to prep and parties and cake and all that. And then it's like, oh, Valentine's Day. I got to give Valentine's Day cards. Oh, and by the way, I'm due with a baby here in the next couple of months. So it's just a little overwhelmed. Maybe that's why I threw myself so much into this case. (laughs) Just to forget reality. Put put the AirPods in and I'm listening to a podcast. (laughs) I'm working. (laughs) I wish. God, I wish. Can you imagine Finnegan's face? He's one and a half. Can you imagine him? I'm working, sir. (laughs) Oh, precious baby. Well, that's why I tell Tom. He's like, are you watching another crime show? I'm working. It's work. I'm working here. <laughs> work. Do I have a smile on my face? Does it look like I'm enjoying do you, this? Do you see me taking notes? <laughs> do you yes. see me pausing and writing stuff down? <laughs> you can't just sit and watch something. Do you notice that this show is only like supposed to be, you know, 20 fi- minutes long, 50 minutes <laughs> and I'm already into hour three. <laughs> so true. <sighs> Except I went to bed the other night and I watched Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Didn't let, I didn't let myself have my notepad. I didn't take notes. I didn't anything. I just sat and watched. It was very nice. I've done that with Unsolved Mysteries I too. I love Unsolved Mysteries. But you know, it's a, it's great because then you can pick up stories and then I always jot the names down and the stories down and then I can research it later and then for you further different, your investigations. So I just want to get the the skinny on it now. Yeah. I turned my podcaster brain off and just sat and, and enjoyed did laundry. I mean, I mean, I'm still doing laundry, but I'm still working. <laughs> I can't do laundry without either listening to something. Oh, or no watching way. Something. 
it's impossible no I'm i have to multitask i'm still old-fashioned i still iron but let me tell you i'm listening to something or watching a true crime yeah. <laughs> while i'm ironing I, I i have to multitask i'm always multitasking cooking dinner i always have one airpod in my ear just <laughs> listening to something even if i'm really not even listening to it <laughs> it's just background noise <laughs> pretty soon like what? Who's this guy? <laughs> when did he come into the story? Well, recently I've been listening to the Murdoch trials. Oh, well, of course you have because that's what's going on right now. Yeah. So I've had my earbud in and have that kind of going in the background as I clean or cook or whatever. Oh, his crying voice. Oh, his 911. I'm enjoying the lawyers. They're so Southern. I know. <laughs> it's. And the judge is awesome. I love the judge. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Different. This is not why you guys episode. are listening to us. <laughs> okay. The Dyatlov Pass. I introduced you to the nine hikers. Mm-hmm. Ten, but nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the treacherous weather that they're going into. The need for this classification three, certification three, I'm sorry, for their sport they're becoming masters of their sport and they're taking this very seriously you know i asked alex what would make nine hikers get out of their tent and go walk into a blizzard without shoes on or coats or anything he said lsd he's not wrong but i just don't see them doing this no and a lot of people have I said shrooms were a thing maybe they got shrooms from the monsi people like that is Uh. a theory but again, I don't see Igor Dyatlov, the leader, allowing, allowing them to do this in these treacherous weather conditions. I just don't see it. He would not even allow liquor. And they were very mad at, um, I'm drawing a blank on who, who brought the, the pipe, pipe. The pipe smoker. Yeah. They wanted to be totally sober. This is a very strenuous, difficult hike. So again, people are going to laugh at me pronouncing their names. I'm doing the best I can. But you have Igor Dyatlov. Yuri Doroshenko, Zenaida Kolmogorova, Zina. Uh, you have Ludmila Dubanina, Yuri Kravanashenko, Alexander Kolovatov, Rustam Slobodin, he went by Rustik. You have Yuri Yodin, and he's the one who turned back. Mm-hmm. And then you have Nikolai Thibault Brignoles, he went by Thibault. And then you have Semyon Alexander Zoltaryov, who went by Sasha. Right. And he was the tag along. If you remember, he joined them later or he joined them earlier on. Mm-hmm. Some resources said he actually met up with them and discussed with going with them weeks prior to oh. this trek. So it's not like, hey, you're going to say place I'm going on the train and let's just go together. It wasn't like that kind of situation. Okay. That makes more sense now. Uh, February 1st was the last day of the jovial pictures and uh, journal entries that were being taken for this trip. Rescuers uh, were sent out on February 20th of their peers and teachers from their hiking club, from their university. They discover the tent squashed by snow, but skis, you know... it still looks like a tent. I'm sure people have looked at it. It's not like it's totally squashed down. Right. The uh, the uh, the ends are still up on their then poles. Then slow marching footprints of the nine hikers leading down the slope. Again, not a severe slope, about 20 degree slope down towards the woods, a little less than a mile away in a small grove of trees. So you have kind of the beginning of forest down there Mm -hmm. and this is where the first two bodies were discovered in a very mysterious way and that is where we left off last yes if you're confused go listen to episode (laughs) one of this episode one not episode one of killer hangover (laughs) you don't have to go back that far (laughs) episode 130 (laughs) from last week uh so the bodies of yuri kravanchenko and yuri doroshenko are found under the old cedar tree the branches of the tree were broken up to about 15 feet up. Oh. And the remains of a fire were found with the two men. Oh, so they broke off the branches. I mean, I'm just supposing uh-huh. to make a fire. Yep. 
keep working that little brain of yours, mom. Hopefully well, the gin doesn't hold you back too much. <laughs> I'm just, just sip on this one. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it helps bring light bulbs. Gener- <laughs> Generates light bulbs. They're there a little sluggish, but you know. The medical examiner said that there was liver mortis on their backs, but Krivonashenko was found on his stomach. So oh, he'd been moved, he was moved after he died. Now, they had no clothing on. None at all. They had very little. Uh, and I'll go over the individuals, what they were wearing and their injuries. But because they had very little clothing and because Krivonoshenko was moved, it's believed that maybe some of the other hikers had taken some of their clothing for warmth. Oh. Because these two are definitely dressed the least okay. of the nine hikers that will be found. And, and you have to assume, too, uh, the minimal clothing that they're wearing and some other hikers are found in their friends' clothing and stuff like that. So they weren't found in just their own clothing. Okay. But even if they're going to bed in their tent at night, I highly doubt they're going to bed in their long underwear and that's it. I know we discussed that this tent that Dyatlov had made with the stove inside Nobody wanted to sleep by the stove because the stove would get too warm. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean, think that means that when they went to bed, they just slept in their long underwear. They have to be prepared for anything. Anything. So, yes, he made them take off their shoes, but I highly doubt they weren't going to bed without layers and sweaters and multiple socks on still to keep them warm. Mm. Uh, that's my assumption. I am not a hiker by <laughs> any means, but I would assume you were not going to bed in your underwear. Right. You, you're going to have conditions a, outside. a little bit more on. I, I don't know if you're going to have all those layers on, but you're going to have you're going to have some layers on. Kravonoshenko was found with a white cotton shirt and a cotton bottom down shirt over it. He wore long underwear, but one pant from the knee down was torn off. He wore one sock, which had burn marks on it. He had abrasions to his forehead and back of his head. He had bruises on his chest and his arms. And his hands were a mess, maybe from climbing the tree. Mm. Researcher, uh, researchers, investigators did find like some pieces of their, un- they, they call it underwear, but it's long underwear. Okay. Underwear and skin in the tree branches, possibly mm. from them climbing into right. the tree. Okay. Yeah, maybe he fell from the tree. Now, were they climbing the tree to get away from danger? Or were they climbing the tree up that 15 foot mark to get branches, branches. for their fires? Long pause. <laughs> because, well, I'm thinking about the branches. Wouldn't you get the top ones first because you need to stand on something and then get the lower ones as you're going down? So were they climbing to get out of danger's way? But let's back all the way up. You slash your way out of a tent. You walk slowly down to the woods and ma- making your own fire. Number one, impressive. Very impressed by that. Number two, that takes time. So you're in a rush to get out of the tent but then you're walking you walk and then you take your time to make a fire you walk less so are you climbing to get out of danger that still just doesn't it doesn't all and was the group together when you made the fire right so what were with it were his hands were torn up from his hands were torn up uh it was really weird his autopsy said that a chunk of skin was missing from his middle finger and that chunk of skin was found in his mouth <gasps> what he had a lot of burns on his body as well on his legs and his his hands uh and like i said the clo- some of the clothing was even burnt wait 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 can i ask something the stove that they had in the tent is it possible it could have sparked and he could have gotten burnt from that stove in the sure tent? easily and then they needed to get out of that tent because the stove collapsed right. their tent okay but why were the, all of their other belongings in that tent then if that's the case, then the tent would have been burnt. But not Something. the tent would have been burnt. So there would have been evidence of that happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But OK, so everything they get out of the tent so they don't get burnt. Don't you think they'd still like dig through the tent? I mean, they had a flashlight. If you remember, they dig through the tent to grab some boots at least to walk down the slope into the trees to get shelter. All right, mom, we are only on victim one. OK, go. He had a lot of burns, okay, said contents of his stomach showed that he had died within 68 hours of his last meal. His death was, quote, violent and accidental, and the deemed cause of death was freezing and hypothermia. Okay. Doroshenko was discovered laying next to Kurvanoshenko. 
He was found in a short sleeve button up shirt with a sleeveless vest over it. My goodness. And then torn long underwear on the bottom and two pair of very torn socks. Now, his upper lip and nose were swollen, almost like he had been punched. Mm -hmm. He had burn marks on the side of his head and bruises on his arms, legs, and torso. He had a foamy gray discharge coming from his mouth. Later, the doctor would say this was caused by something causing a great pressure on his chest. Oh. Hypothermia was deemed his cause of death as well. But not asphyxiation. No. His airways were clear. Okay. The following day, February 27th, just near the cedar tree, but they look to be heading back up the slope back to the campsite. Search and rescue discover the bodies of Dyatlov, Rustin, and Zena. Now, they're not together, but I just, those are the three bodies that are discovered on February 27th. Okay. Uh, Igor Dyatlov, their fearless leader, was found the closest to the two under the cedar tree. He was about a thousand feet from them. He had one hand clutching a birch branch. Was he okay. using that as a weapon or a weapon? Yeah. Was he fighting something off? His other hand was laying over his face. He was clothed in a sleeveless fur jacket, a sweater, and a red cotton checkered shirt. He had knitted ski pants with fleece and some flannel uh, and a pair of socks. No shoes. So he was dressed a lot warmer than the first two victims. Not a lot. Or- he has two shirts Sorry. and a pair of pants and a pair of socks. So not much more. Okay. No shoes. He had scratches all over his body done so by a sharp object is what the autopsy said. So it could be a knife. It could be claws. I wouldn't say they were that deep. They're just scratches. But the autopsy said potentially by a possible fall on some rocks or limbs or something like that. Oh, those kind of scratches. He had frostbite. And again, his death was determined to be Six to eight hours after his last meal, his death was deemed a result of hypothermia and freezing. A little story, but later his notebook would be discovered in their campsite in their tent with a photo of Zena among some journal entries. The two were photographed a lot together on this trip. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. Zena was discovered near Igor on the slope. We assume heading back up to camp. Her knees were curled up. She wore a red wool hat. This is the first hat we've heard of, by the way. Tied at her chin with a bow. She had a blue sweater and a cotton checkered shirt, some wool sweater ski pants, and sport pants. Her injuries included two broken teeth and some bruising from a, quote, blunt instrument, unquote. Again, a potential fall on rocks or ice or snow was the assumption. Again, they note she died within six to eight hours of her last meal. Her death was deemed again because of hypothermia. Okay. Again, I just have to point out here, yes, these two had more clothes on than the others, but I'm again, I'm sure at no point were any of these hikers naked or near naked. Like these clothes that they have on sound like clothes they would be sitting in the tent in. Right. Even the hat she might have worn. Exactly. So were there a pile of rocks anywhere near here? I mean, yeah, there's woods, there's trees. Yeah, I'm assuming though they would be multiple, like you fall down a pile of rocks to get those bruises. You don't just... Okay, go ahead. About a week after Igor and Zina are discovered, on March 5th, Rustik is discovered. He was found in a cotton sweater and a checkered shirt. In one pocket of that checkered shirt was his passport and some money. A fleece sweatshirt and some ski pants. In the pocket of ski pants, uh, they found a pocket knife, a pencil, cotton, a long piece of string, and some matches. Weird. Uh, His injuries included a fracture on his skull, the autopsy saying that the impact of a hard object and the damage and location of the damage after the hit, he could have become stunned and it could have caused him a lot of confusion and improper thinking. Mm -hmm. But his fists was clenched and his knuckles of that fist had a lot of bruising and scratching on it, looking like he had punched something, like he had some damage to his fist. This, of course, makes people theorize that he punched his friend and the one that had the swollen lip, maybe because of the brain injury and getting hit in the head like he did. This stalled him from his hike back up the slope to the campsite because he was, too, heading back towards their campsite from the cedar tree. Uh, But his death, too, was deemed hypothermia and freezing. Even though he's bashed in the head? Mm -hmm. That was not his cause of death. Okay. 
The search continued for the remaining four hikers, but weather conditions were dangerous for searchers and their efforts were unsuccessful. They would have to wait until warmer weather on the mountain in the spring. But while they waited to continue the search, there was a legal investigation into the first five bodies. Theories and conspiracies started to grow, of course. Yeah. But the government investigating the case was really trying to keep conversations on the low. They did not want people talking about these hikers at all. The mountain was closed to any outside hikers. Mm -hmm. The search continued in the spring. And in May, they probed down into the snow searching for the remaining hikers. Some Monsi tribe members even assisted in this search. I mentioned this because although I'll go over theories later on, I wanted to kind of mix in some theories as we find some bodies too. Because again, there are many theories. And one of the big theories that I really want to nix, of course, I don't know for sure, but the theory that the Monsi had anything to do with this case, it just doesn't sit well with me, but some people believe that they did. Some say they were threatened or did not like hikers on their land. Uh, This was possibly their hunting ground and they didn't like them there. But if you remember from the meeting when they met and talked from the journal entries and they talked to them, they were helpful. Yeah. Yeah. To the hikers. They were hospitable, gave them guidance. They seemed they were kind people. That being said, I also found in my resources that the Monsi were distraught in finding these bodies in the way they were found on their land. They were very upset that this happened. I also read in the recent months around the time of the Dyatlov Pass incident, someone or something had been killing off their reindeer. I mentioned that because the final remaining hikers were found, but the injuries that they had sustained and the manner in which they were found was much more severe and mysterious. Okay. On May 5th, Ludmila, Alexander, Nikolai, and Sasha were found. All together. This is where it gets crazy. Okay. They were found a little deeper in the woods than the first Mm -hmm. by the tree. They had set up a shelter down in a ravine. They had been buried under 13 feet of snow. (gasps) Oh. But they had died of something else besides hypothermia. These four were wearing more clothing than the other five. They were wearing some of the other hikers' clothing. So maybe they all were together. Remember I mentioned that the... um, one had been moved after mm-hmm. rigor mortis. So it looks like they had removed clothing from their friends. Okay. And then they were each kind of wearing each other's clothes as well. So maybe as one of them died, they grabbed some of their clothes and so forth. Mm-hmm. They dug into the ground and built up a wall and a floor of branches and limbs to keep from touching the cold, snowy walls of the ravine. They'd also started a fire, which I mentioned again is just so amazing to me. <laughs> In an autopsy... Dr. Boris Vazraznidi, sorry, Dr. Boris, claimed that the internal injuries found in these victims was caused with extreme force, like as much force as an automobile accident. And it couldn't have been the snow falling on them? Mm-mm. Okay. That snow did not just fall on one fell kerplunk, that 13 feet. It wasn't feet, an avalanche or anything. That 13 feet of snow did not fall on one big kerplunk. Okay. That 13 feet of snow is what had fallen over the February-March Months. They didn't get to these bodies until May. Okay. They went missing. They are, their last journal entries, if you remember, were February 1st. So they weren't buried in the snow when they were alive. Their cause of death is not because of snow. Got it. Nikolai was found in Ludmila's fur coat and hat, leading investigators to believe he had taken them from her once she had passed. Mm-hmm. He was pretty layered in clothing and he did wear boots. As I mentioned, two victims, only two, had boots on. Two males. It was assumed back at camp while they were eating dinner, the two had gotten dressed to go out and use the restroom. And that's why they were possibly dressed warmer as well and had boots on. Okay. That being said, while they were out there relieving themselves, did they see something that set the others in a panic to get out? I digress. Nikolai suffered a severe blow to the side of the temporal area of his head, and he suffered an extensive fracture. The injury was caused by a strong blow, the autopsy reported, with enough force, as I stated before, as in an automobile accident. Now, go back to your theory of like an avalanche and all the snow fell on him. Why just the side of his head? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking. He would be crushed. I was thinking the internal injuries. Internal bleeding because of this blow was deemed his cause of death. Okay. His autopsy states the death 
of Nikolai was the result of, quote, violence, unquote. Alexander, he was also found more clothed than the others. He had a jacket and sweaters and pants, several socks. Injury-wise, a ton of his skull was exposed on his face and on the top of his head. He had a broken nose and a deformed neck. So do you mean that it was like he was skinned? Not, he just had exposed skull and exposed on his face. Okay. Uh, his death was deemed hypothermia, but his autopsy was the shortest to read through. It was the least amount of information in it. I think it's because he was the most decomposed. Oh. Uh, they were also found, keep in mind, in ravine, so water. So mm-hmm. they also had some decomposition because of the water that they were sitting in. Uh, his injuries seemed where his skull was exposed and the broken nose and the deformed neck. These injuries seemed to have come after he died. Oh. Okay. Be prepared for the next two victims. Sasha. He was dressed probably the best. Maybe suggesting he was the last to survive. Right. To survive. I said that really weird. Sorry. Several sweaters, jackets, scarf, hat, ski mask, pants, socks. In his left hand, they found a compass. He also had on boots. So he's the second one with the boots. Mm -hmm. Now, his ribs were absolutely crushed. I mean, not just broken, crushed. Oh. His whole chest was crushed in. He had massive internal injuries. But externally, like besides, obviously, you can tell that his ribs are crushed. He had no soft tissue damage. No soft tissue damage. No bruising. But internally, his ribs were crushed. Oh. He had an open wound on his head as well. They also found that his, quote, eye sockets were gaping, unquote. Yes. Meaning his eyeballs were missing. Okay. His cause of death was due to the multiple fractures of his rib cage and the internal hemorrhaging because of this. Injuries were due to a high power impact. And then it was cold on top of that. So that is his cause of death. Now, he was also found with a camera around his neck. Then investigators said, and I use bunny ears, investigators said the photos taken on that camera were damaged. Oh, but were they? But there is one photo. And I have it here. I'll show you. They call it frame 34. And it's a black background. It's super blurry. It's out of focus a black background with a moving light in the upper left hand corner almost like somebody's shining a flashlight or is it a photo of something in the sky was this taken and seen when he went out to take that pee break and then he came back to the original campsite Mm -hmm. now they're in a ravine so like i said water so it could easily be damaged the film could be damaged maybe they're not making that up (laughs) i just find it very suspicious I'm just going to cover like a broad amount of theories based around Mr. Sasha here. Just real quick. Um, We can also come back to them. But remember, he was a World War II veteran. Yeah. Some suspect he was KGB. Oh. Again, this is the Soviet Union. Was he wanted? Did he have information someone was after? He didn't, you know, go with this group originally. Was there a reason he tried to tag along with this group? Some say that possibly the group was mistaken as gulag fugitives. Apparently, many small concentration camps were dispersed all over this region had they just stumbled into an area at the wrong place at the wrong time. Another thing, Yuri Yodin, their friend that had turned back Mm -hmm. hiking, helped investigators like I had mentioned in naming items and who they belonged to and equipment and such during the investigation. There was a piece of fabric almost tarp-like, and it has a special name to it, and I, I'm i not even going to try to pronounce it, but it's what soldiers would use to wrap around their feet to keep them dry. It's kind of oh, like a tarp. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was wrapped around Ludmila's foot, and Yuri had no idea where that had come from. He had never seen anything like that before. Now, does he know all of Sasha's equipment that Sasha brought with him? I mean... You heard me go through their journal entries. They took everything out and went through all their equipment every single night. Mm -hmm. You'd think he would have seen it at one of their... You know what I mean? You'd think, but who knows? But, you know, it it would make sense, though, for him to have that because of him being a veteran. Yes and no. I I don't know. So 
a lot of people, though, look into this, though. Were they attacked by somebody in the government and that was just left behind? But it was wrapped around his foot. Her foot. Her foot. Her foot. Mm -hmm. Right. It was left behind, so then she used it to keep her foot dry. All I have to say is that from the tent up on the slope, only, and I mean only, nine sets of footprints were found walking from the tent. I was going to ask you about that, too. Okay. So it's not like somebody came and got them out of the tent or scared them out of the tent. Also, no animal prints. There's no other people prints. No other prints besides the nine hikers walking from their tent down the slope to the ravine treed area. So now we are left to wonder about Ludmila. She was also discovered in the ravine. Mm-hmm. She wore a mixture of her friend's clothing. Some items showed to be burnt in places, which I just, I don't get that. She wore a long blonde braid down the middle of her head, and her face held terror. She, too, was without eyes. Mm. And her mouth was gaped open, almost in a silent scream. Her top lip was missing, exposing her teeth and her upper jaw, and the fact that she was missing her tongue. My gosh. It stated that her tongue had been torn out from the root. Oh, oh. She had suffered rib damage and internal injuries, like some of the others, from a force. A force so strong it fractured and broke ribs that punctured her heart. So blood was found in her stomach. And the proof of the autopsy showed. So sorry, guys. Her oh no, she was alive. Tongue was ripped out when she was alive. Oh my god. Her injuries were massive, and her cause of death was said to be from the internal bleeding and injuries from a blunt force. The multiple rib fractures and such. Quote, the death of Dubinina is through violence. Unquote. Before we get to theories, and I know nobody wants to talk about it, but let's talk about the tongue for a second. Some suspect an animal, okay? They're down in a ravine. Maybe they got their eyes and her tongue. But why the eyes and the tongue? Why not a leg or an arm or and ripped out the tongue? It just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. I would think if an animal did that, it would it would you'd bite, bite the tongue. You'd see bite, yeah, not ripped out. No. Mm-mm. Some of you have heard this case before. It's a big case. Thus, the two-parter. <laughs> A lot of information. I did the best I could to cover what I could. There was much more, obviously, in the autopsies. Like I said, please go check out that website I mentioned in part one. If you have any questions, it's all broken down there for you. But here are just some things I want to mention that I didn't kind of work my way, work its way into the storyline of me sharing this with you. Just some little tidbits, okay? Okay. I hate to say this probably won't help answer any of your questions, but Darn. it may create it may create the theory you're already kind of working on in your head. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Okay. So there were four, possibly five cameras taken on this expedition. That being said, I mentioned the odd photo on one of their cameras at the mm-hmm. odd lights. Mm-hmm. Well, there was another one that led many to theorize that the group was killed by the Russian Yeti. Okay. Yes. Russian version of Bigfoot. Okay. A blurry photo in the woods of a Yeti is on one of the cameras. Okay, so here's the picture of the Yeti that the students took. This is on one of their cameras. Uh, Okay. I just have to talk about pictures of Yeti really fast. Okay. They're always blurry. They're blurry (laughs) for a reason. I'm sorry. I'm not a believer in the Yeti. Please, somebody out there, please. I would love, 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 love for you to bend my ear on the Yeti. Really. There's a matter of fact, though, if you look at the entire roll of film that this picture was found on, there are several photos of this Yeti, quote unquote Yeti. Uh, They're being goofballs. They had somebody dressed in clothes and this was actually used for uh, they did something fun in the evening time when they huddled in their shelters. They created the evening or Totten. It's a newspaper. It's a satirical leaflet of sorts with silly articles and content that they made. Uh, This is where a Yeti is made note of within the group. Mm. There's a little insert about a Yeti under the science section stating that it was seen and lived in the northern Ural Mountains near Mount or Totten, uh, the mountain they were climbing, uh, which I didn't mention, but 
or Totten, the mountain translated means don't go there oh, in Mansi. Now we got don't go there in the mountain of death. And Dead Mountain. Dead yeah. Mountain. Yeah. That, and again, those are the names before this incident. This, this was not right. named no, no, after right. the incident. Something else to mention about this, but in later interviews, Yuri, the survivor, stated that in one of his last stays with the group in a settlement, he remembers when the group talked with some Monsi, and Igor Dyatlov was warned of the dangers in the mountains. Oh. Was the Monsi warning the group of the Yeti, even though it was made light of, and the group did take these photos to be silly and did write the satirical newspaper to be silly. Was the Monsi really warning them of a Yeti? Was the Yeti what was picking off their reindeer? And again, no other footprints were seen leaving the tent. I think if it were a Yeti or an attack of something, not only would there be more footprints, but running footprints from the hikers inside the tent, running out of the tent. My opinion. Okay, so the other theory... My opinion is a flying Yeti. Uh, shoot, I didn't even think, think of that, about that, did you? Well, no. Nope. Uh, the other theory I somewhat chatted about but has to deal with that photo that I mentioned before of the lights. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like black background. It looks like, uh, it literally looks like a flashlight being shined. Now, this is back in 54. So cameras are not the same. You really have to be still to have a picture taken. But of course, it brings up the theory of UFO or alien beings. But another thing that those lights could have been was military rockets of some kind. Uh, or military testing done in the sky. Many people, many people have come forward. Monsi included. Mansi. Monsi. Shoot. It's one of those. I'm so sorry. Uh, that reported seeing odd lights. And some even went as far as calling it UFOs in the sky around the Ural Mountains where the group was was hiking throughout late January and February. Many people reported odd lights. In the sky. Hmm. And it is proven that there was military testing sites nearby. Was this a rocket? Did he take this picture? He gets scared of what he saw and told them that they needed to get out of their tent. I don't know. Wow. Okay. But that being said, mm -hmm. no debris has ever been found from any rockets or anything being tested. There's theory that they were testing a chemical weapon of sorts so there wouldn't be any de debris necessarily the explosion would just leave a chemical behind did this chemical make the hikers react mm -hmm. to something not just lights but was it releasing some kind of a chemical mm -hmm. did these students get too close did they see something they shouldn't have i think you'd think they'd just be shot think right I mean, if, if they saw something they weren't supposed to, you'd just think that... And you already ruined their tent. They're going to die of hypothermia. I hate to say that, but, like, why go to the extreme of... Of the mutilation that uh, exactly. happened. No, I think they would have just been shot if that was the case. Again, I mentioned it before with the government getting involved, but some suspect special forces got involved somehow, and that's why no other footprints were found in the snow. They wiped their footprints clean. There was an investigator... Lev Ivnov, and he reported that around the scene of the crime, there were some young trees in the forest that had burn marks on them. Okay. There was like no shape to the burnt trees on top, but it began the theory of maybe a heat ray or something of that nature. Again, you're absolutely right. Why the mutilation then? Why go so far? The, you've taken their entire camp and all their shelter away. They're out in the wilderness by themselves. It's inevitable, unfortunately, what's going to happen to them. Why the mutilation then? Mm -hmm. I will say what is really suspicious is that there were three items of clothing. A sweater found on Ludmila that belonged to Krivonoshenko. And then a sweater and pants belonging and found on Alexander that had abnormally high radiation readings on them. <sighs> so. I forgot about the radiation. They were all <laughs> tested for radiation, which I just have to beg the question. Why? Why were they even <laughs> tested for radiation? Is why? that like a normal? It's like a normal test that they tested for people. I don't. I don't. Oh, I don't know. Um, but they were, and these three items of clothing were contaminated with higher levels. And you have to remember, they were they were covered by thirteen feet of snow, even sitting in water. I kind of have an answer, maybe. <laughs> uh, Alexander, I'll start with him because that's the one I'm really not 
too sure about. Um, we know he worked in scientific research. Mm-hmm. So because of this, did he work in a secret institute? Was he around this kind of stuff that it would be on his clothes? Yeah. Just because he worked with classified information. I don't know. Now, Kravonashenko, the dotlovepass.com website states that, quote, while working in Chelyabinsk, a secret nuclear facility, he experienced a disaster that became known as Kishtim disaster. On September 29th, 1957, the plutonium plant experienced a radioactive leak. Mm. Kravonashenko was among the people who was sent in to clean it up. Okay. So maybe these were the clothes he was wearing when he went to go do the cleanup. But however, that being said, he was a specialist engineer. He would have known that that clothes that he was wearing in the cleanup had radioactivity on it. Wouldn't he avoided ever wearing it again? Wouldn't he want to get rid of it? Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make sense to me. I know today they would be mandated to get rid of it. I don't know what they did in 59, but 57. yeah. Yeah. 57. So, and, and like both of them were smart. Both wouldn't wear clothes from their positions or radioactive situations Mm-mm. out on a hike. Well, yeah, why? So why was there radioactivity on their clothing? And why only two of them? Because there were it four bodies. It was two sweaters and one pair of pants. And they were kind of found mixed among the victims, but two sweaters, one pair of pants belonging to those two guys. Another thing to mention that was odd was at the funerals. Now, funerals, by the way... The government went above and beyond to, like, keep them top secret. They did not want people going to these funerals. They wanted to spread them out. There was even, they wanted them to be, their celebration of life, they wanted them to be done, like, 100 miles away from where their families lived. Like, they were going above and beyond to just shut everybody up about this. They didn't want them buried together. They didn't want open caskets. They didn't want people gathering for any funerals. They wanted everything about this matter kept as quiet as possible. A friend of the group, another student at UPI, gave a a statement about how he hung flyers around the campus about the funerals, and he was summoned in and got in trouble and told he needed to remove the flyers because they caused a disturbance. He left the meeting with no intention to take down the flyers, but walking by, he noticed somebody already had. He said locations of burials were changed time and time again. I mean, haven't their families already suffered enough? Why is the government getting involved? Yeah. Well, remember, it's communists, too, so the government runs everything. Regardless of all of that, their funerals were huge. Word spread, just word of mouth, and the nine hikers were honored properly. But at the funerals, now, the last four bodies, they were required to have closed caskets, but there were open caskets for the other ones. Several people reported that those hikers that had the open caskets, their skin was an odd reddish brown orange color. Reddish brown. It was like they were like orange. Like they didn't have radioactive material, but as if they almost were burnt by chemicals. They were orange. Yeah. And there were so many quotes of family and people that went to the funerals and even like this little kid that the funeral happened near like the funeral march happened near his house. And so he's really curious. So he kind of came around his gate and looked at the bodies in the casket on the ground there. And he was like, they were orange. What in the world would cause that? Okay. I've discussed away some of the theories. Like I said, there were 75 official theories, (laughs) but only a few weeks after the last bodies were found, the case was officially closed. Investigators classified the deaths of the hikers being from quote, an unknown compelling force, unquote. And the mountain was shut down to any outsiders or hikers for three years after the incident. More than 30 years later, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the case files were released to the public. The conspiracy theories were just too much for them, I think. And it kind of reminded me of the JFK assassination case files that they just released a few months ago. Mm-hmm but they really didn't release. There's like <laughs> yeah, a yeah. ton of redacted stuff still. Like, I feel like that's kind of what they were trying to do mm-hmm. was just get rid of the conspiracy theories. Then on February 1st, 2019, literally 60 years to the day, the Russian government said they were reopening the investigation. Presumably it was to shut down all the conspiracy behind right. the case. Mm-hmm. They didn't give reasons why they were, why they were reopening it. And they didn't say if they had new evidence or anything like that. But they reopened it. 
Now, remember, the government had said there were 75 theories. <laughs> yeah. In 2019, they reopened the case to state they were going to investigate three <laughs> of those theories. Okay. These three theories were an avalanche, a okay. snow slab, or a hurricane. <laughs> now, I'm not even going to waste my time on the hurricane theory. But let's chat avalanche theory because that's what most have come to the conclusion of. But for over 50, I think over 60 years, the area in the Dyatlov, known now as the Dyatlov Pass, had never had an avalanche. The slope is not, again, it's not the severe slope for an avalanche. And there's no evidence of an avalanche. I would say that there would be evidence of that. The hikers found refuge, for a while at least, in some trees less than a mile from their camp. There was an avalanche. It's not like it, oh, I'm going to hit this tent and then I'm going to stop. Right. And the tent wasn't totally covered or busted. Again, it still looks like a tent. We talked about the ski poles. Wouldn't an avalanche totally cover their tent? Not and and again, avalanche. if you hear an avalanche coming, you cut your way out of the tent because you're scared. And then you just slowly walk down. No. And I think... They would be prepared for avalanche situations, too, where, oh, we know the sound of an avalanche. If there is a sound of an avalanche, I don't even know. But I'm assuming you would know the sound of an avalanche. You throw your boots on and then get out of your tent, right? Right. Was there something blocking the doorway of their tent that they had to cut through it to leave? Okay. Anyway. Okay. So the next thing uh, is the snow slab. Now, this one I can possibly see. A snow slab is essentially as it sounds. It's it's. A slab of snow that then gets covered with another slab of snow that gets another, you know, they just kind of piles of snow pile up on each other, mm -hmm. right? And the team had, the hikers had built their tent, cut into the snow to build their tent. So they had some kind of a wall next to their tent to guide, guard them from the wind. Okay. So the slab, and I have a picture here. I printed this one off. The top slab of snow slides off. And could go where that human is is kind of where the tent would be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, this could cause the blunt force trauma to certain people because it just keeps sliding. And then some of the slabs, this is heavy, heavy snow, mm -hmm, obviously. Mm -hmm. We're talking four feet of snow, a slab of it coming and falling and crushing rib cages. I mean, I can see that. Or falling on their heads. I can see that. Mm -hmm. But this was their cause of death. So the ones that were in the ravine lived the longest they had the most extensive injuries. So it, it, it doesn't work for me in that aspect of, okay, the slab falls on their tent, busts his rib cage like horribly, but then he's able to go down to the ravine, build himself like a wall of sticks and a ground of sticks and, and a fire. If it crushed his ribs, it would have perforated his lungs and his heart. But you think it would have slowed him down to even go down a mile no, I mean, he would he would have died right there. Right. You would have found them underneath the slab of snow. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I am not a scientist, but that that's my Could have been idea a, of it. A slab of snow down there in the ravine. And how do you explain the missing eyes and tongue? <laughs> and the radioactive clothing. I don't know. Maybe there's radio. And the flashlight on top of the snow. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you... Okay, so a slab falls and crushes your tent. Well, shoot, you know, that sucks. So you get out of the tent, but then wouldn't you try to dig into it to try to at least get some boots or some blankets? Well, not or if the something? slab is sitting on it. But wouldn't you try something? Or would you literally just get out and be like, all right, well, let's just walk into the woods barefoot. <laughs> okay. Other theories worth mentioning are that they were driven to hysteria by infrasound. That's... That's where I was going. So when a wind vortex blows around an object shaped in just the right way, so in this case, a mountain, mm -hmm. it can cause sound waves at frequencies so low that we can't consciously hear them. Those waves, infrasound, can cause a whole bunch of symptoms. It can cause headache, nausea, internal organ damage, internal damage inside your bodies, confusion, hysteria. If these hikers were affected by this infrasound, might it have caused a panic fleeing from the tent uh, and then starts to crush their ribs from the inside? The, the hysteria maybe did cause them to fight. Maybe they did punch each other. Mm -hmm. It could have caused a whole bunch of things. 
research into infrasound is not proven. It's not necessarily proven. There's not a lot of research into it, but it is a theory. Mm -hmm. The last theory I want to mention is the one I'm more leaning towards. Kinda. (laughs) Kinda. Catabatic wind. It's a drainage wind. It carries high density air down from a higher elevation at monstrous velocity, comes down the slope with a violent force, as fast as hurricanes sometimes. Mm. As we saw from their journals, the weather with the wind was picking up as the days went on. Right. They started to reach the peak. It just The wind just was so violent. This wind in the middle of the night could have forced everyone out, leaving them no choice but to walk down and try to find shelter in the trees away from the wind. Maybe the wind worked with causing a snow slab of sorts onto their tent. But again, they're left with no choice but to hike down slowly, build a shelter in a ravine, or make a fire in the shelter of trees until they can hopefully find their way back up to their campsite. This does not answer the questions of radiation on clothing, missing eyeballs and tongue, the crushing of, I mean... Maybe they fell into the ravine and that's what crushed his ribs or they fell out of a tree when they're trying to get branches. Yes, yes. But the force of the broken ribs and the force of the fractured skull was not just a fall. It was something hitting them. Right. And but OK, so that's those four. But then you've got five other bodies. Yeah. Uh, like the first two were. But yeah. those weren't as violent. No, they weren't. They were as- hypothermia. So I can kind of see something damage their tents. They're going down to take cover. Why they would leave their tent with no shoes, I don't know. Maybe because you're right. The snow covered it and they were like, we'll mess with it in the morning. It's in the middle of the night. But they had a flashlight. Somebody had a flashlight. But, you know, maybe they. you're right. Maybe there's just too much snow on that tent to dig with it that night. They needed to just go find shelter. They knew the woods or the tree line was down there. So they hike barefoot down there. How far were they from their whatever that was called, from where they left their equipment. Over three miles. Okay. They couldn't have made that. No. No, they had left that on the last day of January. They left that there, and then they only made it three miles that following day to their new campsite where they were. Did any of the journals say that they had received some kind of food at all or drink from the... Monty? Yeah. I... Not that I read. Okay. I don't think they were ever housed by the tribe. No, but they, they just talked, came across them they, on the trail. And they talked. And so it, it was. Are you have, still going with the shrooms theory? I'm. Yeah. If, if it was in there. Yeah. But shrooms w- would affect people differently. And it wouldn't. I don't know. I'm going with. I'm going with the theory of the something causing them to go delusional. Some Something did. I mean, I don't think that anything attacked them. I think that, you know, and. And. Or at least one or two of them to go to delusional to kind of coax everybody to stay together and lead them down. You know what I mean? But I hate to say this, but they could have been delusional and plucked their own eyeballs out. I've read stories about that. Oh, I'm I'm not I'm so, not nixing any theories at this point. I, I mean, OK, I'm going I, I, just talking out loud here. I I'm thinking something caused them to go into a mass hysteria sort of and cause them to turn delusional and i like that whatever you called it the the sound the isometric sound or yeah the infrasound infrasound isometric i don't even know what that is um (laughs) the infrasound something like that to cause them i mean we hear about the pioneers on the plains and the wind literally made them crazy Mm -hmm. and if it's a high intensity type of wind or whatever would mess with your mind obviously your body i didn't realize it did all that um i know it hasn't been proven and it's not a thing but still i'm sorry going back to your story last week i mean do people really get teleported places like don't know exactly that's my point is that yeah it's not necessarily totally fully researched but wow just oh wow i still want to know how the flashlight landed on top of the tent or why it wasn't taken down with him. Like if he had the flashlight and he shined it on the tent and he's like, oh, wow, yeah, this is totally crunched in. There's no way we're going to be able to rebuild this right now. But Beth, think about why it. Why wouldn't he take it with him, though, down into the woods then or down by the tree? 
Why? So you're thinking that they were down there and we walked back up to the campsite? No. No. No, I'm saying when they left, they got out of the tent. And when they got out of the tent, the snow crushed the tent in front of them. But if you're that flashlight was still sitting on top of the tent, on top of the snow for 20 days, 26, 27 days. Okay. If there's a massive wind, you know, and they said the wind picked up. Oh, yeah. If there was a heavy wind, it would have knocked that flashlight down. I know. The flashlight is the one thing that the Dyatlov Pass like Foundation, which is a group of peers of these hikers, mm-hmm. students that went to school with these hikers, that hiked with these hikers, that, it exp- that did expeditions with these hikers. Uh, they formed this foundation and the flashlight is the number one thing that they are so flabbergasted with. Uh, I mean, at this point, that's what's throwing me off, too, is the dang flashlight. I don't know. Yep. Now, there were, like, the in the first investigation, there was, like, 46 men. Could one of them maybe have found the flashlight and just set it on top of the tent? I mean, could have just been something so minimal. So, so, so mundane. So <laughs> mundane. <laughs> that... That we're overthinking everything right now about the flashlight. Yeah. Sure, I guess. You know, I just don't have answers for you. You know, and I don't have any answers for you. (laughs) I just brought all the questions. (laughs) And I'm so sorry about talking about a torn out tongue. Just that bothered me so badly. I know. It does. I mean, it does. Okay. Let's move on from the tongue. (laughs) We're moving on. We're ending the show. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) We're ending with the tongue. (laughs) great (laughs) sorry well thanks for all your research that took a long time i'm sure it was just fascinating though and like i said i just kept reading and reading and watching and watching and listening and listening and then i was like crap i need to sit down and write something out (laughs) (laughs) mom i'm gonna try to be done by but i i did i told you i said i am trying (laughs) i wanted it to share who these hikers were who these people were and again I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of documentaries on this, but I'm supposing that, again, they themselves, their humanity was is kind of overlooked. Yeah, there was a little romance there. You know, there was a little jokester and just, well, silly pranks. And still all people. I mean, the singing and every night they'd sit around the fire and play the mandolin and talk about love and write poetry together and right. write songs and make a a satire of a newspaper with silly things in it and it was just there was so much going for these guys it's it's horrible it's horrible but there's a reason why the peoples the yes the peoples mon the monsi there's a Mancy, reason monsi i'm supposing there is a reason why the monsi are calling that and have called that Dead Mountain. Death Mountain or whatever. or no Dead th- Mountain and then the, ma- that was just the pass, the slope that they were on was Dead Mountain. Okay. And, but and the, the big mountain that they were essentially going to hike up is literally translated to, uh, do not go there. There's really- Is there a Yeti there? Is there really a Russian Yeti? No, Are th- we really overlooking? No. Maybe I it's think- just that stinking easy. I think they know something about the weather. <laughs> the wind. <laughs> oh, the wind. You're right. The you know, wind just blows up there differently. And, and it drives people, people crazy. People go crazy. And they jump off of mountains and they... Tear people's tongues out. <laughs> You're back, <laughs> back to the, to the dang tongue. tongue. Oh, resources are going to be on our website, guys. Photos are going to be on our social media. Diatlovepass.com. Go check it out. There's all of your photos there. I want to know your theories. I know we always ask you guys this stuff, but like, please, 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 please. Really, really, really want to know. I want to know what do you think happened? Like, so send us on social media, on email, killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Any of our social media sites, just leave a quick comment of, guys, they totally did LSD. Or, guys, you're, they, the Yeti is real. I have a picture. Just comment it. Just make sure it's not blurry. They're all blurry, though. Have you ever noticed? <laughs> they're they're either, blurry. like, stark, clear, that you're looking at it going, yeah, that's fake. Or they're, like, super blur, super blurry. And always Like the Loch Ness tree. Monster. It's always just blurry. <laughs> And it seems to be always black and white. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for another week. Uh, we are going to go back to every other week. Sorry. It's just easy for pregnant mama over here. But I had to do this every week for you guys just because I couldn't leave you hanging on this story for two weeks. That would just would have been too long. Yeah, yeah. And remember, Patreon. Patreon, you're getting an episode next week. There you go. Yep. <laughs> have a fantastic Valentine's Day, y'all. Eat lots of chocolate. Yeah. Have a good Valentine's yourself with your sweet family. Yeah, thanks. We don't celebrate Valentine's in my house. I mean, I celebrate it with the kids. I got them little goodies and of chocolates. And... Well, I think I used to do that for you guys, but yeah, it's not a day of let's go out and eat and let's go do this. Or uh, No. <laughs> I mean, I probably won't cook. I'll use it as an excuse to not cook. Let's be real. DoorDash. <laughs> Oh, here. That's a great way to end it. DoorDash. This is not an ad. (laughs) Cheers, mama. (laughs) Cheers. I love you, kid.